We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed this was a national team that we thought had kind of started a new era turned a corner and yet when i watched this team here um there were multiple players that i don't think need to be with this program going forward Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This show will be talking the U.S. women's national team terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Uh, some CCC drama, Stalin, serial killers, MLS Week 2 preview, Tyler Adams back, goal line tech, Mallorca, combining CONCACAF and Comnable. And so much more. But first joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer research and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are we doing on this Wednesday, February 28th in the year 2024? I'm doing well on a beautiful day in Los Angeles. It is gorgeous. Now, I know we feel bad complaining about the weather, but we have over the last month had some... You know, bad weather. It's all relative, but bad rel- uh, relative to uh, what is normal for us. But it has come back in beauty with a wonderful, wonderful vengeance. It is just one of those pristine, beautiful Los Angeles, not just days, but multiple days. No. So let's see. Hopefully it lasts. Are you getting outside or are you, uh, you got anything planned to coincide with this weather? I am planning to go hiking as soon as we're done taping. This Where do podcast. you go? Uh, I know a lot of people do that here in Los Angeles. Uh, to Mescal Canyon in Malibu. Okay. Now, do you uh, do you have the hiking boots and all this kind of st- the whole the whole paraphernalia? You, uh, you you're not one of those with the uh, the ski pole things, are you? No, no, but I do have the hiking shoes. You do have the hiking shoes. Uh, do you go alone? Is this a contemplative type of uh, religious experience for you, type of thing? Or sometimes alone, sometimes with friends. Today will be alone. Today will be alone. All right, how long? How long uh, are you going? I'm I'm fascinated by this. How how, how many miles do you go in it all all told? Uh, I don't know miles, but it usually takes me couple of hours like an hour each way you go you go up to the top of this mountain and then come back down look at you you rugged outdoor man uh have you, have you watched anything uh i watched a movie called the death of stalin which was recommended by our good friend kindred the Sayabin, correct okay and um and uh i enjoyed it it's a satirical take on uh, the death of joseph stalin and then the battle to succeed him it was Done by Armando Yanucci, who's the creator of Veep, so it has that tone. Okay. Steve Buscemi plays Nikita Khrushchev, uh, and it is entertaining. I have to say, I laughed a lot. Throughout. All right, good. Well, she has steered you and, and hopefully me at some point uh, in the right way. So I will, uh, I will check that out. Let's see. Um, did I watch anything? I, I watched this. So there's a new uh, crime doc on Max. I guess it's called now called The Truth About Jim, and it uh, follows this young woman as she investigates her. I guess it would be her step-grandfather and equates it uh, and and comes to believe that he, he has the potential to have been a serial killer. Now, you and I both, we, we talk about um, crime documentaries and I would think that at this point we've watched enough of them where we know the good from the bad. I, I was not impressed with this at all for for one reason. I mentioned this young woman who is kind of the subject of it. It completely took me out of the documentary. And it's a, it's a classic case. It happens not just in this type of documentary, but where you go about making yourself the center of attention and the star, if you will, of the show. And in doing so, I think you do a disservice to the, to the bigger story. At least that's the way that it, that, that it, I felt. So I do not 
recommend it. It is an interesting premise. And never you never really get the full explanation or I guess truth, if you will, relative to this. But that's you know kind of what the what it was going for. But no, I do not give it a thumbs up from my from my perspective. I still have not started that uh, true crime doc that you and Kat recommended about the serial killer that went on the dating yeah. game show. It's a little freaky. It's a little freaky, my friend. Uh, but that's a, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, all right. Ready to light this candle? Let's do it. Where shall we start? Uh, on Monday's pod, we mentioned that you'd be attending the U.S.-Mexico Women's Gold Cup match later that night at Dignity Health Sports Park. Producer Sean Sullivan attended as well. I figured we'd mention that game on today's pod. It never occurred to me that we'd be leading the pod with it, but the reason we are is that you bore witness to a stunning upset. Ovalle in the first half, Pelayo in the second half, a 2-0 Mexico victory, the U.S.'s first defeat to CONCACAF opposition on home soil since 2000. What on earth happened? Wow. All right, where do I start with this U.S. women's national team? Uh, and, and I, I, I want to be fair and balanced because I do think that this is one game. However, what was what was disappointing and I guess concerning to me is that this was a national team that we thought had kind of started a new era, turned a corner, and yet when I watched this team here, um there were multiple players that I don't think need to be with this program going forward. And whether it's Becky Sobran in the back, I love her a legend, as is Crystal Dunn over there on that left-hand side. You know, both of them had bad games. And look, even the best players can have bad games. But I do think that that is problematic. And again, at least I thought we were getting a, a new chapter and a changing of the guard. And then it happened on their watch, Sobran and, and Dunn. Listener was in goal. I don't necessarily fault her for, uh, for anything that happened there. It could have been more, by the way. The U.S. created very little in terms of going forward. Uh, Coffee is n- numbing in terms of the frustrating way that she plays. Even Lindsey Horan, who I think at this point is, is our only creative force on the field, ran out of ideas very, very quickly. Williams, Rodman, Smith did nothing in terms of being unpredictable or being dynamic up top. And again, They can go on and win this tournament, and this will have been an anomaly, and hopefully that's ultimately what happens. But what was concerning to me, Mossy, and the most concerning thing was that this team looked completely predictable, completely robotic in the way that they played individually and collectively, lacked any type of creativity, any type of inspiration out there. And they looked like a generation of players who had been told from a very young age This is exactly what you need to do in this position and this position and in this instance and had no ability to think for themselves to change on the fly as opposed to the opposition. This is a Mexico team, by the way, plays in CONCACAF, did not make the World Cup. A Mexico team that to a woman out there was better in terms of their technique, literally trapping the ball, passing the ball, shooting the ball, obviously. And tactically, they were far superior to the U.S. Nothing that the U.S. threw at them, and it was limited, troubled them in the least. And not only that, they were able to maintain possession of the ball in in much more creative and much more uh, in, in a much better way that led to opportunities out there. That's what angered me at times. And I was getting angry. I mean, we were there to have a good time and, and everything, but I was getting angry from what I was seeing. Again, I hope that got it out, the, out of the system. And again, this is just a, a complete aberration, but it is concerning because we've talked so much, especially over the last couple of years, about how the rest of the world has caught up. And that includes our neck of the woods. And that includes, at least on this day, this Mexico team. There was no doubt as to who the better team was. And it was Mexico from start to finish. This was not a smash and grab. This is not a situation where the soccer judge just smiled upon Mexico. No. And if this is a harbinger, then this is problematic going forward because Mexico isn't even close to the best women's team out there. In terms of what it means at the Gold Cup, the U.S. finished second to Mexico in Group A. 
the eight teams that advance to the quarterfinals will be seeded based on their group stage performance. We still have to wait for the conclusion of Group C tonight. But if those matches go as expected, the U.S. would face Colombia in the quarterfinals. That is a highly losable game. Colombia went farther in the World Cup than the U.S. They've got some players like Linda Caicedo, etc. So, but before we we move on from this, because I I think I think it's I think it's fun to talk about, and I think in the context of what we talk about on this show and what certainly what we do from a Fox perspective, it's going to be interesting to see this evolution. I'll be fair. Uh, Emma's coming in and it is a changing uh, of the guard. But again, when I look at these players playing and maybe it's a generational type of thing, we have, we've had a head start. We all understand that we've put more resources and time. We've legislated for it when it comes to all of our, uh, our women's sports. And when it comes to our soccer, we have reaped the benefits, but when it comes to the actual playing of the game and that creativity, I mean, I've told you this time and time again, when, the thing that attracted me to the sport, and I know has attracted you and attracts mostly everybody, is the autonomy that you have, the freedom that you have, especially relative to other sports. And yet when I watch this team, there is very little of that. There is very little that I see in the individuals out there that I say, you know what? They were given problems as young players and required to figure it out themselves. And in our effort <laughs> to give them resources and opportunity, maybe we have spoon-fed this generation in everything, including every single touch on what they're supposed to do. And that, that just that, that blew my mind. Maybe it shouldn't, and maybe I, I should have seen this, uh, seen this earlier, but it was front and center in that game against Mexico. Uh, big picture, women's soccer. Spain have kicked on from their World Cup triumph. They won the UEFA Nations League today, beating France in the final. Germany beat the Netherlands in the third place game to secure an Olympic berth. So it'll be Spain, France, and Germany representing Europe at the Olympics this summer. Japan and Australia qualified today from Asia. You've got Brazil and Colombia out of Comnebol, U.S. and Canada out of CONCACAF, New Zealand. And then we're still waiting on the two African teams. But that is a loaded field. So Emma Hayes has her work cut out for her this summer. And I think she's going to do fine. And I think she will be up to the task. And we as a nation, as a soccer playing nation, we should be up to the task. I don't know why... We are seemingly just handing it back to the rest of the world. No, we should fight, all right? We, we had this head start. That was never going to last. And that's a good thing, by the way, that the rest of the world is caught up. But don't just hand it back and say, oh, thank you. We've, we've, we've had it for the last 20, 30 years, but here you go. Everything's no. No, do the things on and off the field to compete, to be better, Competition is good. All I've heard from the U.S. women's national team over the years is we know we compete and we adjust and we assess and do all these things. All right, we'll compete, adjust, assess, and find a way to be better going forward. And you're going to do it with much more competition. And maybe it's going to bring the best out of you. Or you're going to fall by the wayside. And you'll just be talking about way back in the day when the U.S. was really, really good from a, uh, a women's soccer perspective. All right. Enough of that. Where should we go to now? The U.S. men's national team making news. They've lined up a friendly against Brazil June 12th in Orlando. We already knew they would face Colombia June 8th in Landover, Maryland. So Colombia and Brazil will be the two pre-Copa America friendlies. I mean, this is great. So now you're talking, uh, you know, over here in the last year, you'll have Germany or have Brazil. You'll have uh, Colombia, like we mentioned. Obviously, they'll play Uruguay in, uh, in the group stage. And then who knows, maybe some of these teams twice when it comes to getting out of there. But this is what the U.S. men's national team needs. This is what Greg Berhalter told us last week when he was on the show. And by the way, if you didn't uh, check that out, definitely download that uh, and listen to it because it's really enlightening, I think. It gets a glimpse into what he is thinking and the the person that he is now. But, you know, he told us they need to be able to compete against the elites. That's that next step. Well, the only way that you get better at doing that is having more and more games against elite teams. So, well done. Uh, Producer Sean was reminding us when we came on air that if you remember maybe, uh, way back in the, uh, in the previous century when our uh, U.S. Olympic hockey team beat the Russians. They actually played Russia before the big tournament, got their ass kicked. But then on the day in the actual Olympic tournament, they famously uh, fam- famously beat Russia. So this will be a, a good warm-up for the U.S. against a very, very good team. And there will be the, the short-term benefits that they have, and it might be relative to the Copa America, but also the long-term benefits of 
getting as many different games against the best possible competition they can, again, in the context of not being able, not qualifying, and so they will be few and far between. Yeah, the U.S. initially wanted to avoid facing teams on the same side of the Copa America bracket, but it sounds like they explored other options and then circled back and said, let's just get the best teams we can get, and if we happen to face them again in the Copa America, so be it. So that's how you end up with Colombia and Brazil. Before the, uh, just uh, one more thing, before the uh, 1994 World Cup, we played all three of the teams that we actually ended up facing in the uh, in the World Cup, and it was, it was good, again, to get an idea of what these teams were about. Now, they got an idea of what we were, too, so there were no secrets when we... Uh, went on the field, but we were desperate to play anybody and everybody. By the way, if you want to feel old, I saw Bebeto interviewed on Brazilian television the other day. It was in honor of his 60th birthday. He turned 60, really? Yes. Oh, man. Uh, that he, means that the child that he was celebrating in the 94 yeah, World yeah. Cup is, you know, a 30-something, right? Bebeto, of course, scored the winner in the round of 16 in 94 when Brazil beat the U.S. 1-0. 19 previous meetings one win for the U.S., 18 wins for Brazil. You were part of the one U.S. win at the 1998 Gold Cup uh, semis. Casey Keller, Romario, remember that famous game? Mm -hmm. uh, this will be win number two, my friend. So I'm going to congratulate you ahead of time. But you're saying that because you have never been at a point where you are less confident about your Brazilian team. Right? Rome is burning, my friend. <laughs> Rome is burning. Bra Brazil, Brazil lost their last three matches of 2023. And the two games in March are against England at Wembley live on Fox and against Spain at the Bernabeu. So there's a pretty good chance we're going to go into the June window on a five-game losing streak. And then Brazil will face Mexico June 8th at Texas A&M Stadium. I think it's called Kyle Field. And then June 12th, the U.S. in Orlando, which does have a heavy Brazilian population. It's where Bolsonaro hangs out whenever he goes to the U.S. Uh, so it'll probably be a decidedly pro-Brazilian crowd that day. But nevertheless, I think the U.S. will win. All right, so some good things cooking uh, <laughs> going forward for the U.S. men's team in terms of competition. Where to now? Uh, the CONCACAF Champions Cup. Last night, Philadelphia eliminated Saprissa in thrilling fashion. Remember, they had won 3-2 in Costa Rica. They were down 3-2 after 90 minutes at home, which sent the tie to extra time. And they were down a man because Elliott got himself sent off late in regulation. So you thought the Union were in trouble, but they scored an extra time. Ura with the goal. So 3-3 on the night, 6-5 on aggregate. The Union move on in a match that featured some colorful commentary. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, yes. It, all right. So before I get to the commentary, um, it, it needn't be this hard, Philadelphia. I know it's early in the season, but they made it kind of, kind of uh, hard on themselves. But congratulations to, uh, to to Jim and company there for going going through. But let's listen. Let's be honest. Uh, I, as far as I'm concerned, we were watching it at home, uh, and if you were, you would see it on uh, on FS2. It was incredible commentary. And uh, I just want to, you know, give a shout out to George Metellus. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, George was incredible. Now, uh, you can see up here that the Philadelphia Union took note of his, uh, of his skill. And it is skill because it, it, it is not easy to broadcast a game alone. And that's what George was doing. And he talked about... Anything and everything. And he was all over the map. And it was almost as if we had a, uh, a view into his private thoughts in that he was ha kind of having a conversation at times with himself, obviously about what was going on in the field, but also you got to fill up some space. And he just did an incredible job. And it was just a an amazing type of performance uh, from him. And, uh, and he, I mean, he was talking about Halle Berry at different times and the girl with the dragon tattoo. And then he would talk about the Marley movie that he needs to see, all while intersplicing with all the different soccer that was going on, uh, going on the field and then all these different stories. So thank you, George, for making it not just an entertaining soccer game, but just just a great piece of entertainment. So put that one in your uh, in your reel, if you will. So I thought that was uh, really cool. But ultimately, from an MLS perspective, uh, like I said, congratulations to Philadelphia, but they made it, uh, they made it close there at the end. And I didn't think that it was a, uh, a straight red card. I didn't even think it was close to a straight red card. You certainly can have a foul without contact. It's in the laws. You can uh, see it in terms of intent and doing all that. But I didn't think that it warranted a straight red. Ultimately, it didn't, uh, it didn't matter for the rest of the game because they found, like you said, the, uh, the winning goal and they get to move on. Also last night, Houston beat St. Louis 1-0. Zviachenko with the goal. St. Louis had prevailed 2-1 at home. Houston take it on away goals, which is in effect in this competition, even though the likes of the Copa Libertadores and the UCL have done away with it. Uh, so Houston move on. And then 
Orlando finished off Canadian side Cavalry FC uh, 3-1 in the second leg. Nico Lodero among the scorers there. 6-1 aggregate for that one. So that wasn't even... Now, Now, Mossy, we, we're able to now kind of juxtapose between the two leagues and we're in this moment where people are straddling the aggregate which is now, I guess, the antiquated way of doing things with the new way where they've gotten rid of that. Do you miss, when you see a game last night, do you miss or do you, do you wish that it had changed and that everybody had changed now? Or do you still have, as, as, as your opinion on aggregate uh, and away goals, excuse me, changed? Yeah, I've now gotten used to not having it, so it's a bit jarring to have it. I, I'd rather uh, CCC just follow the lead of those other competitions and not have it either. I mean, we were talking to some uh, young bucks off the air here, and uh, there, there was a question as to why it ever was implemented. And it was the, with the best intentions of trying to obviously make an away goal that much more valuable so that the theory goes, a team will actually go for it as opposed to pulling into a shell. Now, that was the theory. In practice, it didn't always work out that way. And I don't think but now, you know, even last night, my, my wife walked in and she was watching and she, and she said, well, is it an effect? Is it an effect? And so there's confusion as to uh, what is. But it is now an effect, which is why they were able to go on. I fully expect Cincinnati, Nashville and New England to also advance over the next couple of nights. They're all in good shape in their ties, which would give us eight MLS teams in the round of 16, along with five Liga MX teams. It should be six Liga MX teams, but Toluca found a way to lose to Herediano despite having a 4-1 aggregate lead in the second half of the second leg. Um, and if all goes according to plan the next few nights, that would set up some really tasty round of 16 matchups. It would be Nashville versus Inter-Miami, Houston versus Columbus. Uh, we have an all-Liga MX affair, Chivas versus America, Super Classico. And then... We look headed for three MLS versus Liga MX matchups. Philadelphia Pachuca, uh, Orlando City Tigres, and Cincinnati Monterey, Brandon Vasquez against his former oh, club. Oh, that is scrumptious. Yeah. Oh, I would love to see that. Um, before, we, uh, before we move on to, uh, to MLS, there should be, uh, I think I was, did we talk about this uh, earlier this, this week about the Open Cup situation right now? And it seems to be that MLS is going to send eight of their teams to the, uh, to the Open Cup. So it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen in the way that anybody wanted it. But. Uh, MLS this upcoming weekend, uh, we've picked out some of the biggest games. Uh, Inter-Miami will play host to Orlando. <sighs> All right. So we've seen now twice in the first two games of the season for Inter-Miami, as I said, Inter-Miami play poorly. I mean, they have not had complete games. And so how sustainable is that? And now they go back. Uh, this is in Miami, right? So Orlando, you know, for the battle for Florida on Big Fox, should be fun uh, to watch. It should be kind of destination type of viewing right now, given what Messi, uh, what Messi is doing. I mean, there's something special about this Messi team. And when they're playing with arguably the greatest player ever to play the game that continues to provide moments of magic, I guess you got to feel confident, but is it just papering up the cracks? And when do those cracks arise? And does it happen, I guess, from a Florida perspective at the worst possible time when you're playing your interstate rival? Uh, the LA Galaxy impressed in their opener against Inter-Miami. They are away to San Jose. Kobe Jones still rides for the California Classico as the best rivalry in MLS. It's because he's old. <laughs> I mean, I get it. And that's what Kobe kind of grew up playing uh, and obviously was a huge part of what that was. And so there's nostalgia and there's a romance to it that obviously Kobe feels. But when it comes to the LA Galaxy, it's El Trafico and, and nothing else. And I, I, I get it. But I'm still excited to see, to your point, what the LA Galaxy looks like after having kicked themselves probably, not probably, they definitely kicked themselves for not getting the three points against, like we mentioned, not a, a, not a not very good Miami team. So now you go up to your traditional rival in uh, up there in San Jose, and let's see if they uh, they kick on. Our friend Paintsill, who we talked to, I think is the real deal, and obviously Ricky Pouge pulling the strings there. But San Jose will probably have other ideas. Uh, Portland, D.C. United, both teams looking to build on impressive opening victories. Portland hammered Colorado 4-1. D.C. United beat New England 3-1 thanks to a Christian Benteke hat-trick. So both of these teams have to be careful of 
looking at their first game as, well, this is easy. This we're we're really really good. They were kind of, you know, in in two different ways, but ultimately in terms of the result that they certainly deserved and will be happy about. Portland before they turned around, they were already scoring goals, and then Colorado scoring uh, even for them, and Colorado was horrible, and Portland was good. They weren't great. And D.C., riding Benteke uh, for a hat trick, now comes into a Portland. So I, get, I think we'll get a much better feel for who these two teams are um, and be able to juxtapose it with those first uh, game performances. Uh, Sporting KC, Philadelphia. I've talked about all the MLS teams in the CONCACAF Champions Cup and the challenge of battling on multiple fronts. This is an interesting test case because Philadelphia exerted a lot of energy against Saprissa playing 120 minutes. We'll see what they have left in the tank here. Yeah, and we remember last year with uh, Peter Vermes and you know that that start of the season and all the craziness and you know Peter Vermes maybe more so than any and he is the longest tenured coach in the league deserves a long leash and he certainly got it last year and there were plenty of moments during that uh, first few months where you know they they hadn't won in ten or whatever it was uh, when you would have been justified in saying well we need to make a change but they stuck with him and to their to his credit. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised anymore. He found a way, way, way back. They're going to try to avoid that going forward. But even with the travel and even with the multiple fronts, this is Philadelphia. And if Sporting KC were to go out at home here and beat Philadelphia, which isn't out of the realm of possibility, that would be a very nice way to say last year that was bad, but it was an anomaly. And he's facing the second longest tenured coach in Jim Curtin. These are two of your favorites involved in this matchup. Oh. I love Jim Curtin. I love Jim Curtin not just because he's quality and he gets wins and he does less with more, but I just love the way. And to be fair, Peter Vermes is is he, he's he has the same honesty, um, and no BS type of approach. But if you ever get a chance to sit down with either one of them, it's fun. They don't talk over you in terms of the things that they talk about. They don't look down on you in any way, and they, I think, look at the game in a very simple way. They're not simple, but the way that they look at the game is very simple. And I think nowadays especially, we attach so much jargon and meaning, and we try to make things more than they actually are. And oftentimes, it's to make us feel better about ourselves, or it's to make us look smart either to others or to ourselves. And you will get none of that when it comes to both of these coaches, whether it's Peter Vermes uh, or Jim Curtin. A game that wasn't originally in the rundown, but you demanded to talk about it. Seattle, Austin. I only demanded it in that, you know, we've talked about Seattle and a lot of people are picking them as coming out uh, first in the West. But more so, more so the, <laughs> I guess it's a, uh, uh, a tried and tested type of attitude and action when it comes to sports is, Who's, who's getting fired? Who's, who's on the hot seat? Well, there's nobody on a bigger hot seat, I think, uh, than Josh Wolf down there in Austin. And they do not look good. And if they were to go up to Seattle, where certainly teams can lose, especially given what we said about Seattle, if they were to take another one um, in a row, it just gets that much hotter. And eventually it's, in, it's not tenable and you have, to, you have to make a change because this team is not an elite team. But this team also is not the worst team in the league. And at some point, Josh Wolf has to find a way to fix it because it's rudderless. And this is only a couple, well, one game into the season. And after this weekend, it'll be two. And we'll see how it goes up in uh, Seattle. In uh, League MX this weekend, Chivas are away to league leaders Cruz Azul. That's Kate Cal and Chicharito, who came on for a few minutes last time out against Pumas. We'll see how long he plays here. So if you think it was just to kind of get him back into the swing of things or do you think from a physical perspective i mean do you do you anticipate here going forward that chicharito is going to be starting yes eventually okay i mean we've talked about <laughs> kate cal and i love it i love it because you know this is something that i think we certainly can celebrate and it's also you know an interest an interesting case study we mentioned the uh the mexican part of it and all that but I'm I'm excited to see if he's able to continue this because there's almost this feeling when it comes to him where this is great but it can't last. It's not it's not sustainable relative to who this player is. 
But, you know, he's still playing for one of the elite teams. He's still going to get plenty of chances. And, you know, maybe Cade Cowell, while he did turn heads when he was uh, here in, in MLS, maybe there's a little bit more depth and, you know, grit, for lack of a better word, to Cade Cowell than people thought. And he certainly matured because when he came on the scene, he was so young that physically you're going to mature, although he's pretty, pretty solid physically. But as a player, every year and basically every half year, you can be a completely different player in terms of your progress and your evolution in a positive way. Uh, Monterey faced Tijuana tonight, and then at the weekend they host Pumas. The reason Monterey were in the market for a striker was that Rogelio Funes Mori moved from Monterey to Pumas. Now he's injured. He won't play in this game. Ah. But that's what prompted Monterey to go out and sign Brandon Vasquez, who's made an incredible start there. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I like watching Brandon Vasquez in the same way that I talked about Cal. I like watching players, whether they're American or not. I like watching them see an opportunity and grab it with both hands. And we talk about this with the national team all the time. And so far, Brandon Vasquez has done exactly that. And he will understand the dynamic of him coming in to replace somebody. And even though, you know, there's injuries and all that kind of stuff, all of these players, all the good players, at least that I've come across, have a healthy ego. You learn to harness it and you learn to, you learn to use it. And Brandon Vasquez, when you see him talk, I mean, he's an incredibly humble type of guy. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a burning ego and he doesn't want to prove his worth, shove it back in people's faces. And whether that's in a possible return playing against Cincinnati or here in a situation when it comes to Pumas and say, uh, you know, you might have had to change things up to have, some, have me come in and replace somebody, but you actually got a better version. That is it. All right, my friends. So that's a lot of interesting things coming around this weekend when it comes to your soccer viewing. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about some stuff that has happened over in Europe and maybe some other stuff that's going to happen as we go on. Okay, welcome back. Uh, we got a big, big slate of games uh, abroad as we preview, a, like I said, a big weekend, especially when it comes to U.S. men's national team players. Where should we start? We're going to begin by showing some love to our friend, ah, okay. our colleague, Frequent State of the Union guest, Stu Holden, <laughs> who is part owner of Spanish side Mallorca. Uh, yesterday, Copa del Rey, semifinal, second leg, Real Sociedad Mallorca finished 1-1. The first leg had been nil-nil, so we went to extra time and then penalties. Mallorca prevailed. They are off to the final where they will face either Athletic Bilbao or Atletico Madrid. Those two will settle their tie on Thursday. The final April 6th in Seville. Mallorca have won this competition once before back in 2003 when they were led by a young Samuelito, and they've got a shot at lifting the trophy again this season. Yeah, so this is rarefied air. Uh, as you mentioned, the early aughts, the last time this came about. And <laughs> we were back, texting back and forth with Stu throughout all of this. And, you know, it's, it's his baby. It's his, it's his team. And this is not something that you necessarily think is going to come to fruition. But now that it has, I mean, the minute that final penalty went in and it was over, he was on the phone, booking his flights, heading over there because of how big this is going to be. Win or lose, this is a big moment for a team that we all know is, I guess, for lack of a better word, content if and when they stay in the Liga, all right? And maybe they have other aspirations going forward, but certainly relative to the money that they spend and the history that they have, they're a little engine that could. And they have been doing it now for a couple years, which is, uh, which is wonderful. Aguirre, who they, uh, who they brought in, I think has done a, a good job. And obviously, this is a wonderful feather in the hat for him and a wonderful moment for our friends, too. So hope it goes well uh, from a... Uh, from a result perspective, but either way, congratulations to his team to getting this far. I thought about texting Stu congratulations. I didn't, but for no, me, just no. thinking about just doing think, something nice is no, a I know. Listen, step I, in the right direction. Just thinking about it. Well, I, I would take that. You just thinking about something nice for me or anybody else is good enough. Uh, staying in Spain, La Liga this upcoming weekend, Atletico Madrid will host Real Betis. That is a big test for Johnny Cardoso. Atletico have a strong midfield coquet, Rodrigo de Paul and company. Masi, can I, can I read you something here? Because uh, I was on uh, X today, and this is not something that we're putting up or anything like that. I just, it, it just occurred to me. But um, the love that we have been giving Johnny Cardoso, I think it is fair. 
I think it is valid, and I think it is shared by a lot of people out there, including you. You will recognize, and don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's probably this is the best and the highest level he has played uh, in the times that we have been following him, right? Absolutely. Okay, so uh, my friend Dan Greasy over here on X said about your Johnny comments, because he listens to the pod and he had listened to it, and he said, you have no clue as to the size, importance, quality, or history of SC Internacional. <laughs> Truth is, Johnny downgraded from Internacional to Betis. Inter is a hundred times the club that Betis is. Get educated, Alexi. Stop by Inter, uh, Inter's Insta so you can see the nonsense you said. So, is is Dan just making this up, or or do you think that there's anything valid in the the criticism that he has had for me? Uh, Internacional, by the way, had a big win this past weekend over their arch rivals Grêmio in the Grenal, which is one of the great derbies in Brazilian football. Now, Brazilians have a massive complex about this, uh, about the perception that anything in Europe is bigger than anything in Brazil. I don't know if this guy is Brazilian. What did you say his name is? Greasy was his name. Yeah, it doesn't so. sound like it, but nevertheless, he's certainly arguing like Brazilians do. Well, uh, I mean, we can relate over here in the U.S. Absolutely. We certainly have that insecurity. I get that. But I'm sorry, uh, going leaving the Brazilian league to go to a top six La Liga team is a step up if you realistic about the general landscape of the sport right now. So I disagree with you. Uh, All right, as you uh, look. Under 20, La Liga Player of the Month. Uh, so it's going great for him. <laughs> Even though Mr. Greasy doesn't believe it, I think we in general think that this is good news for him. Again, remains to be seen whether he can translate it to the national team, but he is going to be given, I think, every opportunity come uh, these, this next window and then obviously through the summer. Uh, we go to Italy next. Uh, Serie A, Lazio will play host to AC Milan. And again... Uh, I, I feel like we come on air and I'm always thinking, all right, well, who's hurt and what's the problem? And a lot of times it have Pulisic. And yet, again, week after week after week, both with Pulisic, although now with McKenney, you know, uh, with his with his shoulder situation, but with Pulisic, and we probably have to go back and look. This could be the longest period of health that we have seen in a Christian Pulisic era. And I'm here for it. I'm here for it. And I don't know, I, you know, I, if we ever had him on the show, I, I'd, I'd ask him, is it just, I don't know, just the way the soccer gods are looking at you? Or has he done anything different? Is it Milan in particular? Is it diet? Is it sleep? Is it something off the field in terms of your personal life that you are or are, or are not doing that has enabled you to have this, this vein of not just good play, but vein of health, which has not happened in the past. And again, what'd you say? 15 gold contributions this season. I mean, that's good. We had talked when he, uh, when he first made the move of, you know, trying to guess what it would be. And we had the over unders and all that kind of stuff. But I think no matter what this is going to, end, and again, knock on wood, this is going to end up as potentially Christian politics, most question mark, most successful, uh, successful club season. Yes? No? I don't know. You tell us. Would you like to have Christian Pulisic on the pod? Yeah, I'd love because to have Because you've, you've already got Sean Sullivan working on Trump, Megan Rapino, <laughs> and now George Metellus. I want the guy who called the Philadelphia Saprisa game. We on. can have like a, uh, a Last Supper type of thing where it's just, uh, just a bunch of different people or, you know, a kind of a roast type of situation. Uh, yeah. Also in Serie A, Napoli will host Juventus. We still don't know how long Wesley McKinney will be out for, but he'll definitely miss this game. But uh, what's, what's his name will be playing, right? Uh, Timmy Weah. Timmy Weah. Yeah. All right. Well, excited. And Osiman, right? Yeah, it's been a rough season for Napoli, but today they looked like the Napoli of last season. They hammered Sassuolo 6-1, and Osiman got a hat trick. Do you think he uh, sticks around or what? I mean, is this... We've talked about it, but... Yeah, that De Laurentiis is a tough negotiator, um, but uh, I kind of feel like it might be time for Osimhen to go. I could see him going to a Chelsea or you know, a big Premier League club like that. All right, should we head over to? We go to uh, France. France. Uh, Monaco. <laughs> Monaco will play host to PSG. When these two teams met in November, PSG won five two, but Fulham Balogun 
got one of the Monaco goals that had been his last league on goal prior to him scoring last time Magdans Lons. We'll see if he can score in this game, but it won't be from the penalty spot because he missed a penalty against Lons and the coach made clear afterwards it was his fourth miss of the season. He will no longer be taking penalties. Yeah, so this was like a public proclamation, right? This yep. is, yeah, that's, that's always weird, but I kind of like it, I, you know, because, you, you know, you had one job, right? <laughs> and, and you didn't do it. I like it in terms of a coach being open and honest and saying, yeah, we're going to change it up. And it's just the way that it is. It doesn't mean that that flow isn't going to be on the field. But in this moment where we need somebody to step up and do what 80% of the time most people do and you didn't, we're going to change it and have somebody uh, come in. But, you know, again, as long as Flo is playing, uh, uh, we're good. Like him to be playing and scoring goals. But you know my feelings on, on penalties, right? Correct. So I would much rather have those goals be from the run of play. So Flo, keep sc- or score, keep scoring. And if they don't involve any penalties... I actually will rate you even higher than if you if you score 10 goals and like I said five of them are penalties I don't rate you as high as someone that scored 10 goals from the run of play. Interesting note on PSG they've played two league on matches since Mbappe revealed to the squad that he was leaving against Nantes Luis Enrique didn't start him brought him on as a sub in the second half and then last time out against Rennes Luis Enrique subbed them off when they were trailing 1-0 in the second half and said and the media is speculating that he's trying to prepare for life without Mbappe for the next three months. He doesn't want PSG to be so dependent on Mbappe that it's then a huge shock when next season rolls around. He already wants to kind of ease in this sort of post Mbappe world. I get it. And, and again, I love, it makes complete sense, right? Okay, fine. This guy's gone. It's kind of announced that he's gone. We all understand that he's gone. He's got one foot out the door and as great as he has been, we have to prepare. and. One way you prepare is actually in the games, doing things to show that you can change, that you can adjust, not having him on the field. So there is, there is a punitive type of feel to it, though, right? Hell hath no fury like a <laughs> French club scorn. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Mbappe, by the way, had a meeting at the Elysee Palace with French President Emmanuel Macron and the Emir of Qatar. Some people think it was a last-ditch effort to convince him to stay. Others think it was to convince him to play in the Olympics. Uh, whatever the case, I read that the the appetizer was caviar, and then they ate lobster as the main dish. Wait, so what was the Qatari there doing if it had to do with the Olympics? Wouldn't right? Uh, right. He's in town as part of uh, trying to negotiate a ceasefire with the whole Israel situation, and so he figured he'd stop by as well. Hey, listen, if, if Killian can help out on that front, you know, listen, that's, uh, that's great. So if you had to put money down, do you think Killian Mbappe is in the Olympics? Yes. If, if the Olympics wasn't in France, do you think he'd be playing? No, I think he likes the idea of playing in the Olympics in Paris. And... I, think, I think all French folks like the idea. I think so, too. Are you a lobster guy? Oh, yeah. I, lo- I love seafood. Lobster, shrimp, all that kind of stuff. Uh, oysters. Rob Stone and I, I think we we existed and subsisted on oysters the entire World Cup back in... Uh, 2015, Vancouver, in Vancouver, yeah. That's, all we did was have oysters. And, you know, it's it's roulette. We understood that. And we, we took our chances and we were we were very lucky. So, yeah, I love lobster. You don't like lobster? I do. Oh, okay. Do we think Aaron Schechter likes lobster? Well, if, if she does... She probably likes it dry, right. like her eggs, right? Yep. Do you do the 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 dip uh, into the butter and that kind of stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you uh, do you like a lobster uh, roll? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Do you like the lobster roll where it's just lobster or lobster with the mayonnaise that kind of keeps it all together? Both. Right. Okay. Uh, What's next? We go to the Netherlands, the Eredivisie. PSV will host Feyenoord. That's first versus second. Not much of a race, though. There's a pretty big gap there. The point of interest is, as I mentioned on the last pod, PSV threatening to pull off an Invincibles. They're unbeaten after 23 rounds. Feyenoord looking to spoil that. You have the Mexican matchup, Chucky Lozano for PSV, Santi Jimenez for Feyenoord, and obviously the three Americans for PSV, Dest, Tillman, and Pepe. So what's the difference between uh, PSV and uh, Feyenoord? Uh, 10 points. Okay. So, but that, okay, that's, it's, so there's not a race, but <laughs> you remember last week when uh, they won seven to one or whatever it was? Correct. And you were not impressed. 
and in general, you're not impressed when it comes to the defending over there and the, the lackadaisical type of um, structure at times that is put up against things. So at least in this situation, the next best team that you have in terms of competition, you get to face. So this result, I think, will have more meaning than the ones in the past. Uh, we go to England next. Uh, this upcoming weekend in the Premier League, Burnley will host Bournemouth. That gives us a chance to highlight the fact that Tyler Adams is back in training. I don't think he'll play in this game, but it sounds like he's getting closer and closer. All right. I mean, here we go. And, and we're all going to hold our collective breath when it happens. Would it be wonderful? It'll be a long time back from what is now multiple injuries and serious injuries, including surgery when it comes to that, uh, that hamstring. And geez, I mean, you're just going to kind of, in the, same, in the same way that, I don't know if you do that, but I do it when, when Biden's walking around. I just, I just worry, please don't anything happen. Uh, Tyler Adams, we'll see what this new version of Tyler Adams is, but this is wonderful, wonderful news that he is training now, actually playing soccer. And it just remains to be seen as to what he's going to look like when he gets back on the field. And I, and I say it's wonderful news, you know, that he's playing, but also from a U.S. men's national team perspective. You mentioned Biden. How about that uncommitted vote in Ann Arbor, Michigan last night? I know, right? <laughs> we were talking about We don't that have to get here. into that. That's but, all right. Yeah. It's, it's okay. Um, <laughs> also in the Premier League, uh, Nottingham Forest will host league leaders Liverpool. Both teams played in the fifth round of the FA Cup today. Liverpool beat Southampton 3-0. Forest lost 1-0 at home to Manchester United on a late Casemiro goal. Matt Turner started that game. Gio came on in second half stoppage time. All right, so first off, Matt Turner couldn't do anything in the goal. It was a you know, big old deflection. I mean, Casemiro's going to take that goal, but it, it went through a lot of different <laughs> versions in order to get in the back of the net. Um, I, I think, again, the, the Geo conversation is just, it came on with a couple of minutes, and it obviously didn't change anything. It, it's not gone well. And this, it, thankfully, it's short-term. So you'll chalk it up. Maybe in the same way that Weston chalked up his time with Leeds and he'll return. But it again brings up the point of at some point we have to stop making excuses for Gio Reyna. And he certainly has to stop making, not that he is, but if he is, he certainly needs to stop making excuses in that you're never going to have the perfect place. At some point, it's on you to do the things that you need to do to get on, on the field. And again, I'm not saying that I don't see him every day in training, so I don't know what's going on over there uh, when it comes to Forrest here. And, and I hope that it gets better, but we sure bend over backwards a whole lot when it comes to Gio. Sean Sullivan put in the rundown, Gio off the effing bench again, and effing bench again was all cap, so Sean is frustrated. No, no coach, I know mean, we just talked about the punitive uh, uh, situation over there with Luis Enrique and Mbappe and all that, but no coach is going to shoot him or herself in the foot by not playing a player that could possibly help you win games, could possibly help you stay up in terms of a relegation battle or anything like that. So the situation right now is this is not punitive. This is simply an assessment that, you know what? He's no better and maybe even in certain uh, since, uh, instances, he's worse than what we have right now. So I'm not putting him on the field. And even coming off the bench, he's not my first look. So, again, I, I, we, nobody is promised anything. No matter where you come from, no matter how good you are, no matter how good you've been told that you are, or no, how, no, how, no matter how good we all think that you are. <sighs> anyway. Also this weekend, Manchester City will host Manchester United in the Derby. Uh, on Tuesday, Erlen Holland scored five goals in City's FA Cup win over Luton Town. They beat who? Luton Town. Congratulations, Pep. Congratulations. Six to two. Oh, my goodness. Well, wow. you know, they, uh, in, uh, oftentimes in training, you'll do patterns to goal. That's kind of what this, this was. But it's Erlen Holland. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> arguably the greatest goal scorer uh, and striker, if you will, and certainly in the traditional sense that we've seen in a long time and certainly playing right now. I know Harry Kane might have something to say about that, but anyway, uh, congratulations. 
But this weekend will be fun. Man City uh, versus uh, Manchester United. When is that? Uh, that is Sunday. Okay. Well, uh, incidentally, I mentioned the FA Cup. The quarterfinal draw took place today, so we already know the matchups in the next round. It will be Chelsea against Leicester, Wolves against Coventry, Manchester United against Liverpool, and Manchester City versus Newcastle. All right, so I got Man City beating Newcastle. I got, you said Coventry Wolves? Yep. Wolves. Um, you said Manchester City versus Liverpool? Manchester Wait, United versus Liverpool. Manchester United versus Liverpool. Um, I'm going to go Liverpool. And what was the fourth one? What was the, what, the first one you said? Uh, Chelsea Leicester. Chelsea Le- Chelsea. I'll go Chelsea. All right. That is it. Anything else? Okay, let's take uh, another quick break here. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your questions, comments, and concerns. Keep in mind that our handle out there on all the uh, social media ha- uh, platforms is SOTU with Alexi or... You can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297, Mossy, what do the folks want to know this show? Uh, We have a couple of voicemails. Let's take a listen to the first one right now. This is Tali Talamantes of Seattle, Washington. Alexi Lawless and David Mossy, what do you think about a Comnibol and CONCACAF tournament every four years and Gold Cup every four years? I enjoy the show. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Okay, thank you. I think his name was Pally, if I listened correctly there. If it's not, I apologize, but uh, I'm going to call you Pally from uh, Seattle. Thank you, first off, for uh, calling into our podcast hotline, and thank you for the question. And I think that, you know, given, obviously, Copa Centenario and what's going to happen this summer with Copa America, the, the synergy and the connection and the relationship between these two confederations is now... Uh, something that people are really interested in for a number of different reasons, but <laughs> mostly when it comes, certainly when it comes to Comnibol and CONCACAF for that matter, it's the way to make money with an exciting type of um, inter- interaction. Um, when it comes to having it be more regular, I think from a, a purely U.S. perspective and therefore kind of a selfish perspective, yeah, that'd be great. I mean, we just talked in previous segments about the need for this U.S. men's national team to get the best possible competition. Now, a lot of that is relative to 26, again, without qualifying. But just in general, that's a good thing. Keep in mind that Comnibol has 10 teams and CONCACAF has, what, 41 different members. So it's a very different type of dynamic when you're looking at these two confederations. And while it may be good and what is good for the U.S., it might not be good for somebody else, including a lot of the smaller teams and the weaker teams when it comes to, uh, uh, when it comes to CONCACAF. And so, you know, it kind of mirrors what's going on. You, you know, you love to talk about your college football and stuff like that. And would it, would it benefit you individually to find better quality competition that's going to, on the field, give you better competition and make you more money? Yeah. But are you leaving everybody else out in doing that? And that's what I think there would be a concern when you're Victor Montaliani, the head of CONCACAF, in that, you know, the part of the strength and the power and the value is, I guess, your elite teams in the United States and Mexico in particular. And if you if you lose that or because of a, a combined tournament, you lose a lot of those 41 members, how does it help them? So, you know, that's a long way of saying is, yeah, I would like it. And yes, it would probably benefit us as the U.S. men's national team. But it might hurt others in the process. And I guess it's a, I guess it's a, a fundamental question that you have to ask and answer is, what responsibility do you have to others? In this case, it's a, a confederation, the other 40 teams that you have to help them and to grow the game by doing things that might not individually benefit you, but benefit everybody uh, as opposed to others. Mossy, thoughts? Uh, not unlike the MLS Open Cup dynamic. There you go. Exactly. You know, how altruistic should you be in a situation like this? What else? Uh, we have another voicemail. Let's take a listen. Hi, Alexi. Hi, Mossy. This is Chris from Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I was wondering off the back of the New England Revolution 
soccer game this past weekend in the MLS where Christian Benteke had a goal scored and wasn't sure whether it was over the line or not with no definitive um, camera angles either way. Is it time now for the MLS to invest and bring into the game the goal line technology that they have in the Premier League? Thanks again. I love the podcast. All right. Thank you, Chris uh, from Boston. It's a good question. And I hadn't thought about it in a while. And maybe the answer is in that. We all know that while goal line technology is wonderful and obviously very useful in those moments when you need it, and there's nothing more important than goals, right? But how many times is it actually used? And therefore, if you're looking at it from a cost perspective, what is the value? And if you're only, I mean, I don't know how many times the goal line technology is used in the leagues that are using it. I'm sure they have those statistics. But if, if you're a league and you're looking to maximize the money that you are spending, why are you going to spend it on something that it is so infrequent? As important in that moment as it may be, it's so infrequent and you could direct that money elsewhere. And I think, and if you look back at the history of it, um, you know, the MLS has talked about it being cost prohibitive relative to the fraction of times that you actually use it. Um, so I, it's, it's not that it won't happen because there also comes a point where in order to keep up with the Joneses, in order to be viewed, which is very, very important to MLS, viewed as a credible league, you almost kind of have to check that box and have it. But it is interesting that with all the technology that MLS has employed, whether it's you know, directly and, and changing uh, their laws and rules that they use, even way back in the, in the pandemic, uh, doing different things and being creative on the field, that this is not something that they have, have deemed as worthy of spending their money on. Mossy? On the topic of MLS officiating, when we uh, talked about San Jose LA Galaxy. I forgot to mention Delgado is suspended because of that bogus red card against Inter Miami. <laughs> ah, whatever, whatever. Anything else, Masi? Uh, we have a Twitter question. Uh, Ted Hudak uh, asks on X, excuse me. Okay. Uh, why does Don Garba still have support? Massively mishandled USOC, the Open Cup, and official situation. He's harming their product more every year. Ooh. Okay, can, uh, can, I, can I table this for my one for the road? How about we do that? We'll take a quick break and we'll come back for my one for the road because I think this is a good kind of way to finish, uh, finish this show. So don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. As we mentioned in the previous segment, there was a, a question over there from Ted uh, on X about Don Garber and why does he still have support given you know, the recent situation with the Open Cup and Ted accusing him of, massively mishandling that and that he is harming the product when it comes to uh, Major League Soccer. Uh, so first thing, Ted, I think it's important to note that Don Garber obviously is the commissioner of Major League Soccer and Don Garber answers to the owners of Major League Soccer. He is hired by the owners and he answers to them. His job, like by the way, like all commissioners out there, his job is to advise and to coalesce and to steer this diverse group of owners. And I'm sure at times it's, it's not easy because you have a lot of different cooks in the kitchen and even more so now. His job obviously is also the business and growing the business. And since, you know, what, 1999 MLS has gone from 10 teams to well, next year, it'll be 30 different teams. And so those expansion teams where back in the early aughts, you could get an MLS team for $10 million, even less. And now we're talking half a billion dollars. That's just for the expansion fee. And then you got to have another half a billion dollars in terms of the stadium and all that kind of stuff. The team valuations, it's really going to be interesting in the future, maybe in the near future, at some point when those valuations get put to it to test in the market out there, because, you know, we've, we, we've talked about those valuations and some teams being valued at over a billion, but nothing is actually true until you actually sell that asset and what those valuations will be. But no matter what, 
they have soared in terms of the valuations relative to when he first came at the beginning, or I guess the turn of the century uh, over there. And as I said time and time again, uh, MLS at this point right now, we're here in February of 2024, uh, under Don Garber for the vast majority of its history, he has been in charge of creating the most successful professional soccer league in American history. And he gets that credit. Now, at times over the years, I have disagreed with Don Garber, but I think that even his biggest detractors out there, if they're really, really honest, they can acknowledge the job and the good job that he has done. Now, if you have other interests, and that job has been done at the cost of those interests, again, I can see where your criticism comes from. But if you take a step back and look at what he was put in place to do and what has happened since he has been put in place to to do it, I don't think you can come to any conclusion other than not only has he been successful, but he has been wildly successful. And I would certainly push back when it comes to harming the product more every year or whatever uh, Tim uh, Ted was saying there. So I, disag- I disagree with that. Um, and even though, like I said, and even last uh, show, we were talking about Don Garber doing things that I disagree with, including calling media lazy. And certainly there are decisions over the years that I don't think were right or that I have dis- uh, disagreed with. But I can also take a step back and say, look, this guy's done a good job. And he deserves praise. The interesting thing going forward, Ted, to your point, is what MLS will look like and even by extension what the American soccer landscape will look like when Don steps down. And who knows when that's going to be. But I think that that's going to be a really important moment as to who comes in, you know, who who replaces Don Garber? Who comes in and fills some very, very big shoes? And, And does that person have a different plan? Does that person have a different mandate from his owners that he or she responds to? Does that person have a different dream and vision of what MLS is going into the future? I don't know. I don't know who that ultimately is going to be. And I don't know how soon that is going to be. Obviously, we have 2026 coming. uh, And, you know, Don Garber, certainly if he were to walk away today, nobody would begrudge him going off into the sunset, if that's what he wanted to do. But I think it will come, and it will come sooner rather than later. And I think it can be used as a wonderful opportunity to bring in somebody that, yes, does have different ideas of what that soccer landscape looks like and certainly what MLS looks like on and off the field. But no matter who that person is, I think that they will look back, and if they are, like I said, fair and honest, they will recognize the debt of gratitude that they owe to Don Garber for what he has done for MLS and yes, for soccer and certainly not at the expense of soccer. The good far, far outweighs the bad, but it's a good question, my friend. Anything else, Mossy? Would you be interested in that job? Commissioner of major league soccer? I would be awesome at that job. Um, uh, I do think other people like uh, Garth Lagerway, you know, I, I do think that, you know, Don Garber obviously came from NFL uh, and came from the business world. I think it would be interesting if, and this is not a, a fair phrase, but somebody that has been much more steeped uh, in in soccer, former player, somebody that's been around and and seen that. And again, that doesn't preclude anybody that didn't play or anything from not taking that job and doing a doing a wonderful job. But I do think that going forward, there will be opportunities and global opportunities to take that next step and to make MLS even bigger than it, well, you would have to make it bigger than it already is. Uh, Like I said, I think I'd I'd do a wonderful job, but I think there's a lot of men and women out there that would do as good, if not a better job than I would. Uh, One last thing, Uh, on Friday, we'll be seeing Dune 2, so I'll have a review of that on Monday. What are your thoughts on the original Doom? Came out like the beginning of the early 80s with, uh, was it Kyle McLaughlin? Is that his name? Or Kyle, whatever his name was in it. And, uh, and Sting and, and all that kind of Did you ever see the original? No. Oh, Jesus. Really? 
Well, I saw the the one that came out a few years ago, which that, this is the sequel. That's a remake. To Fair enough, but but you understand that there was the yes, original. That I you did not. Seen. I did not see the original. Oh, for the love of God! All right. Well, you need to see it. I, I, I will be honest. It, it relative to this the the new one that came out, and I'm sure the new one that's coming out this Friday that a lot of people are excited about. It does not hold up well, but it is kind of a cult classic for the characters and for you know some of the. <laughs> The, the craziness uh, and just the weird surrealness uh, of it. So it's worth your it's it's worth your time, and it is a peek into a, a different era. But you are going to see it this week. Yes. All right. Well, enjoy that. I don't know what I'm. Oh, I know what I'm doing. I'm going. Uh, I'm going skiing. Oh, very nice. So around about this time, for those of you that uh, follow us, you will remember that I did the same thing last year and went skiing, and it was right before I got my knee replacement. So this is a year on from my knee replacement, so I'll be going back and skiing. Evidently, I, I play golf once a year, and I ski once a year. So this will be my once-a-year skiing adventure. So wish me luck. I hopefully come back uh, unscathed, but I'm going to go figure out uh, how to do that. All right, anything else? That's it. All right, keep reviewing, keep downloading, keep rating, keep doing all the different things that you do out there, whether you're listening to the State of the Union podcast or whether you're watching and listening to the State of the Union podcast on YouTube and Spotify and all the different players that uh, that also have video right now. I mean, this is this is this is where you get it. I, before we go, Mossy, I will say this, um, and this this is a constant, but certainly over the last week, there's there's been a lot of people that have talked about the pod. And I know earlier this week we talked about John Garber talking about the pod and everything like that. I think there's a lot of people that listen to it. Many of them admit to listening to it. Some of them don't admit to listening to it. But there's a lot of people that have, that have reached out or have just come in contact with uh, that have said very, very uh, nice things about this pod. And I like to think that this is a work in progress and we're getting better and better and better. But we do thank you for, uh, for all of you that listen. Whether you admit it or not, we appreciate it. We will talk to you again next week when it comes to the State of the Union. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the game.